0: verses 12 through 26 in chapter 9 verses 1 through 18 and you've got your choice of two titles I couldn't decide which one I like best so I'll, I'll leave it up to you one is there more to life than work and death now isn't that exciting or the second title is die one day live all the rest of them We're going to find out today that um, Solomon came to a conclusion that everything is just vapor, smoke, vanity under the sun, and it doesn't matter who you are, we all have the same end. One day, we're going to die. So, live life every day, because one day, it's all over. In, verse, in chapter 1, verses 12 through 15, Solomon thought that he would pursue wisdom and he would find what he was looking for. And he said, it's all vanity, it's just smoke, it's vapor, it's nothing. And then in chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, he thought, well, I'll pursue pleasure and I'll find what I'm looking for, my happiness will come in pleasure. And he found out the same thing, it's all smoke and vapor and vanity and it's worthless so now in chapter 12 verses 20 or chapter 2 verses 12 through 26 he's switching to let's look at wisdom and work he looked at wisdom and pleasure and neither neither of them was what he was looking for so now he's going to look at wisdom and work Or in modern language, he's talking about getting a degree and getting a job. How many of you can relate to that? Okay, let me ask. How many of you have a job? How many of you need a job? Okay, one, two, three. You have one and you need one? Oh, cool. Okay. How many of you would like a better job? Okay. Okay. How many of you want a job that gives you more money? How many of you want a job where it's not desert and sand, but it's green and cool? Okay. (laughs) We're not going to pray those prayers, Dale, because we don't want to empty the church out this week, okay? (laughs) In verses 12 through 16, he looks at folly and wisdom. I want to look first at verse 12. He says, let's try something new. Then I turned myself to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who succeeds the king, only what he has already done? In Ryken's commentary, he said, madness and folly go together. So the preacher here, Solomon, is not talking about three different things. I set my face toward wisdom, madness, and folly, but Toward wisdom, which here is the general sense of wisdom, which is common sense, I guess we could say, or human wisdom, the kind of advice that you can get from people like Benjamin Franklin, Emily Post, if any of you are old enough to know who she was, Oprah, Dr. Phil, some of these things, just general knowledge, general wisdom. On how to live your life every day. And he says that this wisdom, this madness, and this folly, they all lead to the same end. Without God, they're nothing. That's the theme of Ecclesiastes. Life without God is meaningless. And then the second part, he says, how can anybody do anything other than what I've already done? The Bible says that Solomon was the wisest, was the wealthiest king that there ever was, and he says, if I can't do it, nobody can. That's basically what he's saying there. If Solomon can't find the ultimate meaning in life, who can? Let me ask you, who can find meaning in life? I can it's found in who Jesus anybody can find meaning in life when they find Jesus I talked to a lot of you guys and I asked how your how's your week at work oh man it was stressful it was tough it was this you know we're at the end of the year we've got you know projects that have to be done and all of these things Think about how stressful it would be if you didn't have God to lean on. I don't know how guys that aren't believers cope with life. Then in verses um, 13 and 14a, he says, Wisdom is better than folly. Then I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. And the wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. He said, wisdom, folly. Wisdom is so much better than folly, like light is better than darkness. Let me ask you, how many of you, when you go to bed at night, turn the darkness on to go to bed? Do you turn the darkness on or do you turn the light off? I've never gone to a hardware store and bought a darkness switch. (laughs) Amen? Amen? We buy light switches. Light is better than darkness most of the time. When you go to sleep, I like it dark better than light. Light is positive value. Darkness is the negative value. Wisdom is the positive value. Folly is the negative value. And then he makes a real interesting statement. The wise man's eyes are in his head. Think about that. Have you ever seen anybody whose eyes aren't in their head? So I guess the wise man has eyes in the head and the fool has eyes in his hand. I don't know. So I don't think he's talking about the anatomy here. I think he's talking more about the wise man uses what he has and he sees where he's going. Going home last night, I realized what this verse talked about. The wise man uses his headlights and can see where he's going on the highway. The fool doesn't. Anybody ever had those drivers here? You know, all of a sudden you hear, and they pass and no lights. Wisdom is better than folly. And then, the end of verse 14 and verse 16, in chapter 9, verses 1 through 8, we all face the same end. Yet I, must, I myself perceived that the same event happens to all of them. So I said in my heart, as it happens to the fool it also happens to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart, it also is vanity. For there is no more remembrance of the wise than of the fool forever. Since all that now is will be forgotten in the days to come. And how does a wise man die? As a fool. I can give you a 100% money-back guarantee right now. Death is a certainty for all of us. The only exception to that rule would be if Jesus comes back before we get to the end of this life. But each one of us is closer to death today than we were the day we were born. Each of us is closer to death today than we were yesterday. None of us is getting any younger. We're all getting older, and death is a certainty. Sooner or later, we're all going to taste it. Dr. Hayden Robinson Was preaching on Ecclesiastes, and I was listening to a message. And he said, It was terrible one day. I went to a funeral, and I had been listening to this man that I thought was a genius. He was fluent in 34 languages, he could go almost anywhere in the world and communicate the gospel. He said, most people only know one language or two, but this man knew 34 languages. I guess the Baskin-Robbins of linguistics. Pick your flavor. He said, but on that day, at the end, no matter how smart he was, he was still in a casket to be buried. See, wisdom won't prolong our life. Money won't prolong our life. Death is a certainty. Now, let me cheer you up a little bit and give you a biblical view of death, okay? The worldly view of death, this is it. This is the end. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 to 28 and as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. See, for us, death is not the end. It is only the beginning of a life eternally with God and with Christ. James four thirteen to 15. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time, and then it vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord's will, we shall live and do this and that. But now you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. See, we don't know the moment that it's going to happen. We need to plan like we're going to live another hundred years. We need to live like this is our last day. Think about your life. If you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that this was your last day of life, how would you live it? Think about that. Remember the king? Isaiah came to him and he gave him a prophecy. He said, Get your house in order, for you will surely die. Now, how would you like that prophecy? (laughs) And you know the story. He cried out to God, and God added 15 years to his life. But every one of us is going to face death. But on the other side is life eternal. Romans 5, 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and then death spreads to all men because all have sinned. We all are heading toward death. But 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty four to 57, So when this corruptible has put on incorruptible, and this mortal has put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The, st- the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory Through our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The work of Christ, completed on the cross, changes everything for the Christian when we look at death. Death is not a defeat for the Christian. Death is actually a victory. Paul says, my desire is to be absent from the body because then I would be present with the Lord. Paul had a desire to go to heaven. I heard of a pastor in Pensacola, Florida one day. He got up in the pulpit and he said, who wants to go to heaven? Stand up. And the whole congregation stood up and he pulled a shotgun and laid it across the pulpit. He says, if you want to go now, stay standing. (laughs) And everybody sat down. Because the reality is, we really, really, really do want to go to heaven, Paul, but not today. (laughs) Amen. Not this moment. Maybe some mornings you wake up, and you're late for work and you really don't want to go and you say, oh God, Jesus, come back right now before I have to get ready for work. But death is what we're all aiming for because then we are present with God for eternity. Don't have to worry about your air conditioner that works or not. I think it's going to be the perfect temperature in heaven for whatever your perfect temperature is. I don't know. Some of those mansions may be hot. Some of them may be cold. I don't know. That's just speculation. But it's going to be a wonderful place, and we're all going to be there. But let me give you some advice. Learn to get along with people down here Because there may be some folks up there that are going to be your neighbors that you don't really like down here. (laughs) Don't know. You know, we need to get along with all the denominations, all of the churches, because we're all the body of Christ, and we're all going to be worshiping him for eternity. See, Jesus changed Everything. There is no fear in death any longer because of the resurrection of Christ. Without Christ, everything is meaningless and futile. And then in chapter 2, verses 17 to 23, he talks about work and death. I used to think a lot that work was a result of the fall but that's not true God created Adam and Eve and gave them a job to do of tending the garden of Eden so God created man to work I heard one amen God created us to work. Oh, I'd even lost that one. <laughs> Let me try this again. God created us to work. Amen. Okay. <laughs> work is not a result of the fall. Now, the result of the fall, I meant sweat, maybe because now because of the fall we had to by the sweat of their brow but God designed us to work verse 17 Solomon said he hated life he said therefore i hated life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me for all is vanity and grasping for the wind Solomon here isn't, I don't think, saying that he's wanting to b- commit suicide because death was the last thing he wanted. But I think he was saying, work, this life that I'm in is it's futile. It's disgusting. I don't want to do it anymore, because I realize that all of it leads to nothing. Francis Mariak, a Nobel Prize winner for literature in 1952, said this, You can imagine the torment I have of having nothing out of life. All I have to look forward to is nothing but death, a feeling that there is no other world beyond this one, that the puzzle will never be explained. Very wise man in the world's wisdom, but he had nothing to look forward to. Men of God in the Bible had the same despair. Think about Job. Think about Elijah, thinking it's all finished. Moses, Jonah. Each of these men had times in their life when they despaired even of life. But in all of them, they had an encounter with God and their attitude was changed and they went on with what God had called them to do. Many times we maybe don't like the grind every day. But when we look at God, what God has called us to do, and we have an encounter with the Spirit of God, we can continue that grind, that daily activity that He has us in because we know it's more than just about the job. God has us where we are for a reason, to be a light In the darkness. So God has called you where you are. God has a purpose for you where you are. Now, how many of you still want another job? No. (laughs) That was a setup. Don't raise your hand, okay? (laughs) But I want to encourage you. That when you go to work tomorrow, or go to work on Sunday, if you're lucky enough to have two days off a week, teachers, contractors, when you go to work tomorrow, thank God for your job. Teachers, when you go to work on Sunday, thank God for your job. When I came to work this morning, I thank God for my job. Amen? Because I know that I know that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are where we're supposed to be, doing what we're supposed to be doing. My question is do you? Or are you just filling time till God lays on you that thing that He's called you to do? Charles Swindoll said, How many people appear to be suave and stable and successful, but who inside are dreadfully frustrated? See, the answer is not to hate life, but to love life in Christ. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4 If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth, for you died. See, that's one of the reasons that death has no power over us. We're already dead. Because we died in Christ. For you died and your life is hidden in Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then we shall appear with him in glory. Doesn't matter what God has called you to do. Do it with all your heart. And then in verse 18, he Starts talking about what we do with our stuff. Why he despaired of life. Verse 18. Then I hated all of my labor in which I had toiled under the sun because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. He says wealth, you can't keep it. David Fairfield says we work our entire life at jobs we don't like. We buy things we don't need to impress people we don't care about only to figure out too late that our death robes have no pockets to take all the stuff with us and it goes to someone else to enjoy the fruit of our labor. We end up giving our stuff to someone that didn't work for it. Think about it. And then in verse 19 to 23, And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will rule over all of my labor in which I have toiled, in which I have shown myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. Therefore I turned my heart and despaired of all of the labor in which I had toiled under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is with wisdom, knowledge, and skill. Yet he must leave his heritage to a man who has not labored for it. This is also vanity and a great evil. For what has man for all of his labor and for all of the striving of his heart with which he has toiled under the sun? For all the days are sorrowful and his work is burdensome. Even in the night his heart takes no rest. It is all vanity. See, Solomon was concerned that what he had accumulated he was going to leave to someone that may not be wise with what he left him. And Solomon had a reason for concern. After Solomon's death, his son Rehoboam turned out to be a fool in many ways. You can read about him in 1 Kings 11 and 12. Rehoboam, the heir of Solomon that collected everything that Solomon had was so foolish that after all of these years of peace he led Israel to war and he lost 10 twelfths of his father's kingdom. From the time of Rehoboam on, only the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin were part of the kingdom that the lineage of Solomon ruled over. The other 10 kingdoms were known as Israel, so you had Israel and Judah. Solomon blew it. Why? Because he wasted all of his time seeking pleasure and wisdom and all of these things and he didn't spend his time raising up his son in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. I don't think he had a vision for him. Think of the difference between what David left for Solomon and what Solomon accomplished. David had a vision to build a house for God. And David got all of the things needed to build a house for God and kept getting this vision into Solomon. And when David died, Solomon accomplished the vision of building the house for God that his father David had planned for. It's interesting... That when Solomon was made king, God asked him, what do you want? And he said, wisdom to rule your people. And so God gave it to him, plus the wealth and everything else. And Solomon squandered everything that he had on living the good life. And rather than seeing the example of his father David, who was a man after God's own heart... Rehoboam saw his father's heart Was after the things of the world Not after the things of God See I can't guarantee what my kids are going to do With what I leave them But I know that we have done our best To raise them to do what's right in the sight of God So parents I want to encourage you Raise your children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Teach them about finances. Teach them about the inheritance that they are going to get. And make sure that they are set up to do well after you are gone. Amen. And then we move in to the good part of this chapter. Chapter 2 verses 24 to 26 and chapter 9 verses 9 to 12 talks about joy and life with God. 226 or 224 to 26. Nothing is better for a man that he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. For who can eat And who can have enjoyment more than I? For God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight. But to the sinner he gives the work of gathering and collecting that he may give to him who is good before God. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. Warren Wiersbe says that this section, chapter 2, verses 24 and 26, is the first of six conclusions in the book of Ecclesiastes. How many of you hate it when the preacher says, in conclusion, and then, oh, my second conclusion, oh, my third conclusion... Oh, my fourth conclusion. Well, let me wrap this up with six more points. Well, that's and finally, oh, I forgot. No. <laughs> well, that's what the book of Ecclesiastes, there are six closings. And each one of them is the same. It emphasizes the importance of accepting life as God's gift and enjoying life as God's will. So the first one is here in chapter 2, verses 24 to 26. There's one in chapter 3, 22, 5, 18 to 20, 8, 15, 9, 7 to 10, and then 11, 9 to 10. So not only were the blessings from God, but the enjoyment of the blessings was a gift from God. I was going to make a statement, but it's hard to make it here because of the work hours we have. It's not that we're workaholics. It's just the contracts that a lot of us have are contracts for a lot of hours. It's better to enjoy what you have than you work yourself to death and put it all in the bank for somebody else to enjoy. So what I'm saying is live life now. Enjoy what God has given you now. Because God gives us the blessings and then God gives us the ability to enjoy the blessings. So you're in Kuwait, enjoy the heat Enjoy the sand. There are things in Kuwait you can enjoy. Enjoy the fellowship time together. Enjoy the food. Enjoy the travel, whatever. But do it all for the glory of God. Charles Swindoll made a great statement. We have the idea that the world is the one who gives us enjoyment and God is the one who clubs me upside the head when I have fun but he said the fact is it's the other way around god gives us the enjoyment and the world's the one that slaps us upside the head first timothy 6:17 command those who are rich in this per- present age not to be haughty Nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Ray Steadman says, it's strange that the more you run after life, panting after every pleasure, the less you find. But the more you take life as a gift from God's hand and responding in a thankful gratitude for the delight of the moment, the more life seems to come to you. So what he is saying is rather than chasing after life and its enjoyment, chase after God. Because when you chase after God, you will enjoy the life that God has given you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is perishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Because Jesus died one day for us we can live all of the others for him this is the hope and the promise for all of those who trust in Christ i heard somebody say one time on in that verse about it says that we are kept in Christ he says it's like the files on your computer that are encrypted they're safe Unless you have the encryption code God has kept us safe God has encrypted us In the Holy Spirit And nobody can take us out Of his family Amen Because we are safe And heaven is our home And in closing This really is my conclusion Okay I want to give you some questions To think about so just close your eyes for a moment. And I don't want you to think of your spouse or your kids or your boss or your neighbor or the people that you work with. I want you to think about you and make these questions personal. What is happiness to me? And as you think about that, what really, really honestly makes me happy? Is it the things of the world or the things of God? The second question How does my view of death affect my view of life? In what ways have I sought to enjoy life through folly? And what did it teach me? Here's a good one. In what ways have I sought to change my life by work? And what did I learn from that? And here's the last one this is probably the key to this whole thing. Would I say that I primarily see God as a teacher who wants me to learn? Or do I primarily see God as a boss who wants me to work? Or do I primarily see God as a father who wants to enjoy life with me? how do you see God? The teacher that wants you to learn, the boss that wants you to work, or the father that wants to enjoy life with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for the book of Ecclesiastes. It's... Often very, very repetitive, but it's down to earth. It's very practical. It talks about the things that we deal with every day with our work or learning or just the hassles of life. But Father, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And Father, help us every day to seek after you and not after the things of this world. Because, Father, there is more to life than work and death, and that is to serve you and to worship you and to glorify your name. Father, help us this coming week that everything we do at work, we do it under the idea or with the attitude that what I'm doing is not for this boss, but it's for God. And, Father, help us to serve you with a whole heart. Help us to serve you in what we do without murmuring or complaining. Father, help us not go to work every day dreaming of the next vacation. Father, help us to go to work every day saying, Father, what do you have for me today? What assignment do you have for me that will change someone's life today? Because, Father, you have blessed us with these jobs and you give us the ability to enjoy them. And, Father, we thank you that we can honor you and glorify you and bless you in what we do every day. Father, I pray for the teachers in this congregation that have an opportunity to speak life into those young men and young women that they teach, those boys and those girls. That, Father, by their attitudes, by their lifestyles, they can be a witness of the life of Christ, the love of God the Father even if they never say a word about the gospel. But, Father, let our lives be light rather than darkness. Father, let those that we work with that aren't believers and the students that aren't believers, let them see something different in these teachers' lives. Father, the contractors and the others that have different jobs it's the same thing Father we rub shoulders every day with men and women that are not believers and Father let our attitudes let our work ethic let our habits be a witness to the goodness of Jesus Christ because Father you have sent us here and you have placed us in the jobs that we have to glorify you And, Father, help us to be a witness every day. In Jesus' name, amen.